Welcome to Season 3 of the Thriving in the Age of Disruption podcast series with Dr. Ramesh. Today's episode is a special treat as we welcome a very dear guest speaker, Ms. Perni Tanusha, who happens to not only be a principal consultant at Talent Leadership Crucible, but is also the sister of our podcast host, Dr. Ramesh, and they've been working together for almost 30 years. Perni shares her invaluable insights on the entrepreneurial mindset, crisis management strategies, and her latest role at Impact Velocity, where she's spearheading the setup of a leadership network that generates a million impact projects. In this intimate conversation, we delve into the origins of the three P's philosophy of people awareness, planet renewal, and progress sharing, and the profound connection between spirituality and simplicity in one's life. Join us for a deeply meaningful dialogue that offers a rare glimpse into Dr. Ramesh's personal relationships, inviting you into a conversation that is both enriching and enlightening. Welcome to Thriving in the Age of Disruption podcast series. Today, we are very excited to have a special guest. She is none other than Purni Tanusha, and she's someone that I've grown and worked with closely for the past 50 years. She's my sister, and she plays a key role in Talent Leadership Crucible, a company that I run, which does corporate culture change in Southeast Asia. So Purani, happy to have you here. Hi, Dr. Ramesh. Thank you for having me here. Congratulations on this podcast series. I've listened to the speakers and they're really very inspiring and touch a lot of key learnings. So I'm really honored to be part of your series. Purani, you were also instrumental in having me do this podcast series. So thank you for encouraging me. I'm glad it turned out and it's kept going. I would like to start off by having you introduce yourself to our listeners. I'm the principal consultant with Talent Leadership Crucible, a company that you founded almost 10 years ago. The focus of the work on corporate culture change is something that fits and dovetails very closely with my passion and purpose. So I've really enjoyed working on the various projects and initiatives that we've had around family business and transformation change work. I see myself really playing the role of a facilitator, a coach, a change agent, co-creator in that work of culture change. That's right. And more recently, Purani, you became involved also with a new organization that we brought into existence called Impact Velocity. And can you share with the listeners what Impact Velocity does? Yeah, so Impact Velocity is created to fulfill on the intention of creating a million impact projects. When people hear that, they'll say, oh my goodness, how are you going to do that? So what Impact Velocity is really up to is equipping as many people as possible, whether they be in families or communities or organizations, with what we call a systems awareness or sustainability success mindset that allows them to then really be self-motivated to take on different, however big or small, impact projects. And so that's really the intention of Impact Velocity. And I'm one of the impacteers, as we call people who are participating in Impact Velocity's vision. It's really great that you're here because I wanted to ask you, what was the origin of this entire mission around 3Ps? What 3Ps is people development, planet renewal and prosperity sharing, or another way to say it is progress sharing. And that three Ps actually show up when people get awareness of themselves as a system. Impact Velocity is really the expression of a family business's legacy. After various conversations, aligning family members and resolving certain internal conflicts, 
and the founders were giving the next generation the opportunity to take on the future of the family and the business. The next generation really saw for themselves the possibility of a transgenerational legacy in terms of these three Ps, right? So for them, their legacy was not just about wealth preservation or wealth generation. It's how their wealth would be providing, supporting, and fulfilling on the three Ps. That's very interesting because they looked at the three Ps of people development, planet renewal, and prosperity sharing as part of their transgenerational legacy. What had them even come to that position because they were not in that kind of a business? So one of the work that we did as facilitators and consultants with the family was to have them explore what we call various scenarios from connecting them to the purpose of their life and then starting to see possible futures. And to create the possible futures and scenarios, they saw there were two key indicators. One was the side of sustainable societies and the other was the side of human potential. So as they went through that, creation process of looking at what kinds of future are available in these different scenarios, it was a no-brainer for them to invest themselves in the scenario in the future of strong, sustainable societies and high human potential. And so inside of that scenario, the three Ps showed up as the three pillars of the foundations or the indicators that they are on track to fulfilling that future. Wow, that's really inspiring. So Impact Velocity then became the vehicle for them to roll out this vision. It's almost a shared vision, right? There's nothing here that is personal. It is shared with everyone and whoever hears that and wants to participate. So it really is designed and meant to be a shared vision. Great, thank you for sharing that. In this podcast series, I explore entrepreneurial mindset versus being an entrepreneur. A lot of people want to be entrepreneurs, but obviously then you have to have an idea and you've got to go and start a business and run it to execute on that idea. But I personally feel that in this age of disruption, what is more critical is that we develop an entrepreneurial mindset because then we can be resourceful because there will be always problems and we are able to identify what's the right problem and then look for the solutions to work on those problems. Number two is that at the same time, there will be risk and uncertainty and we become great at being able to manage that uncertainty for ourselves. And lastly, of course, there's a need to create value. And we're not just creating value for ourselves, but we are also creating value for our stakeholders and the people around us. In my experience, you're someone I've worked with over the last 30 years and you started your business way before I started my first business. So when you take on this definition of an entrepreneurial mindset, what can you say about an entrepreneurial mindset and being an entrepreneur? One thing for sure for myself, I'm someone who is resourceful, meaning that I actually thrive in having limitations. If you just gave me a free flow or a blank canvas, sometimes that's actually difficult. Mm -hmm. But if there are limitations, then I am called upon to being resourceful. One of my biggest victories at one point was to create a big mega project of 2,000 people attending an event in six months, where typically this company used to take three months to fill a class for 200 people. So that was a huge, huge challenge. And there were limitations, right? But I saw that with those limitations, actually, I was pushed to being resourceful. Even taking risks, you have to push some boundaries. And definitely creating value, of course, kept me going in challenging myself and those around me. So yeah, I can see those three factors 
are critical and part of what you said, entrepreneurial mindset in getting things done and in fulfilling what's important to you. But I guess if you say, well, have you started a business of your own or wanted to start your own business? May, I would say no, that's not been of any particular calling. But I do remember when I first graduated, I did start a sole proprietorship. But to me, I didn't look like I started a business. I just did that because I had to do that through a project, right? So incorporating a business was something that I did so that I could undertake a project. Interesting. That was the example that you talked about working for other corporates. And when you get stuck with a lack of resources, you've got a problem solved. And that's when this mindset is really useful. Yeah, it was a successful project. And I won an award in the global level for the entrepreneur of the year or intrapreneur, they called it. That was the first time they had such an award, but they had to make up that award because of that project. That's clearly for me an opportunity for people inside of the corporate that they do show up with the entrepreneurial mindset and do contribute to the success and the intentions of the company. Now, for the listeners, of course, Purni is my sister and we've been working together for 30 years. But this is the first time I'm hearing that she got this award. Purni, you never told me about this before. I didn't? No. <laughs> you know, that was like a year where many things happened. So maybe it was focusing on something else. But yeah, I did get an award. Yeah. I feel that I can fulfill that inside an organization. So I guess there's never been for me to find own business, right? And then, of course, working with you, we're constantly exploring different things. Great. I just wanted to also underline a key point that you have raised because in my anecdotal experience of having trained about 2,000 people, in how to start and run a business in early 2000, one third of the class would have actually completed their business plan and they want to go and become a business person immediately. One third of the class will say, no, never. And one third of the class will say, yes, maybe I can be entrepreneurial at the workplace, but this is not the right time. And I guess that's the point because if you want to go and start a business and run it, you've got to have a different set of motivation and you've also got to have a different set of skill sets. It doesn't diminish you if you're not doing that. In fact, you can actually be very successful in life just applying an entrepreneurial mindset. I define crisis as a setback. And usually in a crisis, if we don't take the action, we come to a turning point. At that turning point, we either face death or the ability to move forward. Purni, I'm sure you've had faced many crises directly or indirectly. What have you found to be important in dealing with crisis and what can you share from your own personal experience with our listeners? There are many, many crises that I've dealt with. I remember there was one crisis when I thought I'm going to quit a training program I started in the US, which I was supposed to commit to doing for the rest of my life. That particular crisis was saying that I don't think I'm good enough to participate in this program because everybody around me, my cohort was so much more experienced and so much more proficient. And so the first awareness is, of course, to know that you're in a crisis. And the second is, I think for me, at least, then you have a sounding board, whether it's a mentor or a coach, right? So you cannot self-reflect for yourself at that point. So I was fortunate that I could reach out to a mentor and have a conversation to express what I was dealing with. The second thing is then being open enough at that moment to listen to whatever the mentor is saying, right? And have that actually give you a moment or a space of reflection. And then just getting back into the game of whatever you are up to. I have had to go through crisis that, like in this case, maybe... After one day I was done, I was over it. But I've gone through an emotional relationship crisis, which lasted 
at least two years. So I don't think there is a timeline, right? The key takeaway would be we all get over it with enough time, with enough space. It is always that you have the internal and the external structures that support you to see another day. I am fortunate that I work in a field where that's what I'm telling others to do. To stay grounded and calm when you're in a crisis. So I guess to some extent, that has been something that I then take on for myself. Just acknowledging that you are in a crisis or in a space, which is not your intended self or your committed self in that moment, that is already the beginning of the journey out of the crisis. Mm -hmm. In my book, which is coming out soon, I actually talk about that as the awareness stage, whereby we can start to recognize the mixture of emotions, feelings, and inner conversations that we are having about ourselves and about that situation. And are able to at least come to a point where we can start to articulate that there is something wrong. Whether or not we have accepted our role in that crisis. So thank you so much for actually highlighting the first piece because it's probably the hardest for most of us in any crisis. Awareness is critical, yes, but like we all know. Awareness without action cannot create transformation or the change. It's an action that is consistent with whatever that is showing up there to be done. There is no preset action that I can tell you. That awareness I can teach, right? We can all learn. The action that we're going to take, that has to be based on whatever the situation is. And I think maybe that's the next level of courage or clarity that's required. Because if we are then muddled or preset in our notions of the action I can and cannot take, then puts us back in a crisis, I guess. That's true. And you've called out something really important. In my book, I talk about these four steps. And awareness is that piece about recognizing the crisis. And acceptance is where we recognize and acknowledge that We had a role in it, whether by participating or not participating. But the third piece is really the confidence to take action. Knowing that we have failed in the past that led to that crisis is really the tough one. And sometimes even if you know the actions because we lack the confidence, it becomes difficult to take those actions and to find the courage to move ahead. And of course, as we start to take the actions, then what we see at that point is that self-actualization, the fourth A, of a new reality emerging because now we have sort of turned around that corner and we are starting to create that new future. So I call this the four-step process to developing a crisis-ready mindset. Where are you in your spiritual journey and what spirituality for you? In your life? I really don't talk about spirituality much these days. From a very young age, I was very interested in spirituality. So I spent so much of my youth and pursued that as a big point of focus, right? I saw spirituality through meditation, through yoga, through a guru, to traveling to particular places of spiritual significance. So I've spent a good part of my life doing that. And right now, it's kind of in the background for me. So I would right now even say I see spirituality more now in the work that I do, which is fulfilling my purpose and in being connected to my contribution and others' contribution. 
So in some sense, your journey of spirituality moved from it being that individual exploration to one of being connected with the collective and expressing that in the actions and the interactions that you are having with the larger community. Yeah. So I think that would be connected to the purpose, right? Like not my purpose, the bigger purpose. There's a quote by Swami Vivekananda that the purpose of life is living a life of purpose. Right. <laughs> so. Uh, simple, but that's what it is. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. That's very profound. Do you think it's possible to live a simple life? And what would you define as a simple life for yourself? From this conversation on spirituality and, and what I said about purpose. And I think a simple life is just living a life that is here and now. Just pursue what is there in front of me. For me, it's living a simple life. That's interesting because often I find that in the roles that I play, yes, there is complexity, but also in the life that we lead, there is an expectation of certain things that we have to do or not to do. Like some of our guests have said that invariably that put us in a position where we either get compared or we have to compare. Uh, and that makes life again complex. But all this is external. I guess what you're talking about is really the internal expression of what is a simple life. And, and if you're here and now and doing what is right in front of you, then nothing is complex because all you're doing is just focusing on that. Yeah. Simple life is not about whether it's an austere life. It's the frame of mind, right? Can you keep it simple and uncluttered? So that will be the simple life, however complicated or complex the situation may be. Great. The state of thriving, what is it for you? Knowing when I'm surviving. <laughs> but that's the opposite. In my experience, I only get access to thriving when I know I'm surviving. If you don't know where you are, you can't move to where you want to go. or You don't have a choice about the next day. Mm. For me, I'm very familiar about my surviving space. So when I am clear about that, then I have a choice about, is this what I want to pursue, continue, or do I have an alternative? And what will thriving be? Simply put, thriving is being effective in my true purpose or my true intentions, meaning the sense that there's nothing more, there's no regrets, there's no resentments, there's nothing it goes back to that simple life, being here and now and mm. being able to give fully to what's in front of you. Oh, lovely. Thank you. Pretty in 2013, you had gone and done a couple of modules at the UN University in Tokyo, looking at sustainability, and then you did a master's in tri-sector collaboration. What's your definition of sustainability? At TLC, we use the definition of the ongoing thriving of a living system. In 2013, I decided that I'm going to start a new page in my future and where I want to contribute. So I was looking at what was going on around me. And suddenly this thing for United Nations short courses came up. So I went there, United Nations University in Tokyo, and I spent two months there. And I actually did their pioneering program on leadership and sustainability. They had just launched it when I landed there. So I took it on. I did it. Actually, it opened up a whole world around sustainability, which I was aghast to say that up to that point, I had not paid attention to sustainability. Oh, suddenly I said, oh, wow, there's this whole crisis. I've been talking about transformation and looking at people living their best life for the last 10 years prior. And based on what I know about human beings and how people struggle to produce results, that there was something here to actually bring together. Sustainability is not just about the planet. It's not just about helping poor people or the underdeveloped. 
So there was a, a bigger part of sustainability that I started to see, and that is what we call systems awareness, right? And when I started to explore the way of system awareness, we started to see that actually the biggest system that all of us are inside of is life itself. And so when you put that in there and I look at an individual, we use the term sustainable success instead of sustainability because success is being effective and sustainability is life. So ultimately, it's about how we can have effective lives or be effective in life. That's the journey from sustainability and pulling together all the work on personal and organizational transformation that I started to see that there was a new way to engage people in their lives and with the planet and with our future. When we talk about sustainability as the ongoing thriving of a living system, you're actually looking at the system at multiple levels from the individual level all the way to the collective level. Yeah, because ultimately the individual is the system. When we say system awareness, if you had system awareness of yourself, then you don't see yourself as an individual, as a separate. You always recognize yourself as the whole. We use one of the definitions by Alan Atkinson, where he says that the sustainability is the ability of a system to continue working and evolving over the long term. Then the biggest system we are all referring to is life itself. And that includes you, me, the planet, the future, everything is that system. Of course, a lot of people look at the e aspect of the ESG sustainability, which is environment and the climate crisis. But what we are also hearing from a lot of people is that whole aspect of us as an individual and how we think around sustainability. Thank you for sharing why that is an important piece. Purni, thank you very much for your time. We've enjoyed having this conversation with you. Yes, definitely, Dr. Ramesh. Thank you so much for having me here. I think this was a great time to reflect for myself, especially at the beginning of the year. So it was wonderful to have that opportunity. And thank you so much for that. You're welcome. Thank you, Dr. Ramesh and Purni, for this personal yet enriching conversation. Whether you're an aspiring entrepreneur or investor looking for inspiration to overcome the challenges in your life or simply curious about the stories that shape the changemakers of our world, this podcast series is your gateway to a world of insight and inspiration. Be sure to subscribe to the Thriving in the Age of Disruption podcast or follow Dr. Ramesh on LinkedIn and other social media so you too become a part of Dr. Ramesh's Thriving Network.